Tell us how you came up with the name All Birds. <laughs> when um, when man first arrived in New Zealand, because it was such an isolated island, there was all birds, no mammals. Is that literally it true? It is literally there- true. And so we, we loved the idea that it was kind of a nod back to a time in nature before humans came and screwed things up. And it nodded back to the heritage of New Zealand. And it was just a, a really compelling way to, to bring everything we stood for together. That is an interesting yeah, story. Yeah, it's good. It's cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Nordy Pod. I'm Pete Nordstrom, president of Nordstrom and your host for this podcast. Join me as I take you on an honest, authentic journey through our company and introduce you to many of the fascinating people in my life, one episode at a time. In this episode, you'll hear from one of our stylists in New York and her incredible stories of kindness that really exemplify the heart of what Nordstrom Service is all about. Honestly, every one of us was in tears. You know, it was just the joy of the whole thing was amazing. But before that, I want to introduce you to bioengineer and co-founder of Allbirds, Joey Zwillinger. Joey Zwillinger is walking the talk. In today's culture where more and more consumers are searching for products that don't destroy the earth, Joey and partner Tim Brown stand at the forefront of the environmental sustainability movement with a company that's reimagining the entire manufacturing process. Allbirds, the fashion-forward, eco-friendly footwear brand, is breaking new ground through innovative technology, materials never used before, and a system of accountability that challenges industry competitors to follow suit. But it's not enough to just have strong moral ethics. The shoes have to look and feel great too. Joey will explain it all, but I just wanna say how grateful we are to have the opportunity to work with Allbirds. We have in the past and it's been great, and we've got future exciting plans that we'll unveil shortly. So let's get into it. All right, look, I'm super excited about our, our guests for this episode. We have Joey Zwillinger, and you may ask who's Joey Zwillinger. Not yet a household name, but getting there. And he's a, one of the co-founders of Allbirds, which has been a really exciting new brand of footwear that's really got kind of a fascinating story. And I, I'm really excited to have you on, Joey, to be able to talk a little bit about it. I, I kind of want to get started and allow you to tell your story. But for people that might not know much about your brand... You know, you've got this wonderful ethos around sustainability and eco-friendly and environmental impact and all this stuff. And it's those aren't just throwaway words for you guys. I mean, it's a literal kind of an ethos of the company. So I want you to talk a little bit about the origins, about how you and the co-founder, Tim Brown, created Allbirds. Yeah, that's a great tee-up. Um, my co-founder, Tim Brown, is really he's really the inspiration for the design concept here. And he, he comes from New Zealand. He was actually playing professional soccer. And he ended up rising to be the vice captain of the national team for their country soccer team and played through the World Cup in 2010. So really a, a fantastic athlete. 
But alongside that, he fell back on what was his passion, which was design. He studied it in undergrad when he was here in the U.S. And as he was playing soccer, sponsored by a lot of the big sportswear brands, he kind of came to the conclusion that there was a bunch of things missing and had this intuitive insight about the consumer uh, using himself as a great case study there that these brands weren't making the right product. They hadn't kept up with what had been a very, very major shift in consumer behavior to requiring a lot more versatility, not having a nine to five lifestyle anymore where you have a work wardrobe and a home wardrobe, but requiring that versatility across. And, and he started connecting you know, his home, uh, his, his origin of New Zealand and using merino wool from the countryside of New Zealand and making that into an amazing and differentiated product that was we originally called the wool runner and he started dabbling with a prototype on that he actually ended up putting it uh, an early prototype on kickstarter and i was one of his first customers because our wives happened to be best friends from undergrad oh wow so So it wasn't something you just stumbled upon you actually knew tim and okay that's cool yeah and 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 he had not um he did not take lessons from uh nordstrom customer service he sent me a women's tent instead (laughs) of a men's tent and told me to take out the insole to make it fit better so i I wouldn't say he's he's quite at the standard that Allbirds now aspires to, and, and you guys have been doing for decades. Um, but but maybe if I if I could indulge myself and, and just connect the the last part you mentioned on sustainability. You know, I came from a a, a company where I, I had found this itch and this passion to solve the environmental challenges of our day, of which I, I would say climate change is the existential threat we face as a species, really. And I had chosen to to dedicate my life to and my professional life to trying to use entrepreneurship to combat climate change. So I, I most recently spent the better part of a decade at a biotechnology company engineering microalgae and trying to use biotech to convert microalgae into components that could compete with petroleum, but do it with a zero carbon impact. And I was selling into a lot of brands that we now compete with today, and as well as a, a huge number of other industries. And what I found was that people said the right thing to get past this sustainability idea, I'm using air quotes, uh, uh, for the consumer, but they weren't actually backing that up with action. And they weren't actually using lower carbon materials when they had the opportunity to. And so connecting my passion for renewable materials and using business to fight climate change and connected that with this design inspiration and insight that Tim brought to the table was a tale of two complementary skill sets and and now two fantastic friends and business partners that we thought could be much better together than either of us could alone. And fortunately, our wives were quite encouraging of that and and, uh, set us off down this path. Yeah, it's that's really interesting. So what people might not recognize or know, and maybe you can speak this a little bit, is you're talking about petroleum products. So All those athletic shoes out there in the world essentially have some kind of petroleum product in their soles. Isn't that right? They're the outsoles of those shoes? Well, unfortunately, more than that. Usually 100% of the product is made from petroleum-derived plastics. Oh, wow. It's the polyester upper, the soles, the rubber on the bottom is not... I mean, rubber is now from petroleum for the most part for most products. The laces are poly... I mean, every single component of most sneakers is either 
plastic from petroleum or leather from cows. And we're, we're doing it in a much better way. And frankly, what I understood uh, when I was in the industry of innovation and deriving these materials from algae is that you could unlock much better customer experiences through nature. And you could do it in a way that was so much more compelling for the consumer if you didn't just resort to what the industry has, has done for the last 50 years and get lazy and use cheap and readily available petroleum. Huh. So, you know, it's fascinating to me, these different people I meet in our industry and where they come from. I don't know that I've ever met someone that's running a, a brand that has their start as a biotech engineer. So tell me about, you know, growing up and how you ended up becoming essentially like a, a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have only uh, had lab coats adorned on me when I have to pass through a lab, so I wouldn't quite venture okay. to say I'm a scientist. Well, you seem like a scientist but I to certainly, me. <laughs> I certainly, <laughs> I certainly, it is a, it is a, a less typical path towards being a cobbler uh, coming from biotech. So I would definitely agree with you of the unusual nature of the path I've taken in my career. Uh, and I'd just say, you know, my, my early upbringing was not about necessarily the environment. It wasn't about um, anything, it certainly wasn't about anything in business or fashion. But what it was, was that I had two parents that were. I would say socially conscious and, and activist in the way that they live their lives. And they didn't care what I did in my life as long as I was, you know, obviously hopeful hope for me to be a happy guy, but, um, but that I contributed something with what I did in my days to society and, and had something that was a really positive impact. And I, I latched on to environmentalism and conservation pretty early on and, and just took me a little bit until I was in my mid twenties to figure out um, that it was going to be entrepreneurship and the private sector to use that dynamic nature. And so, you know, lots of uh, twists and turns, but I, I was an engineer as an undergrad at Berkeley. And that obviously created a, a toolkit for me that I extended into everything I did from then on into into everything I do today. And that uh, allowed me to combine uh, this drive for uh, entrepreneurialism and, and the dynamic nature of, of that environment with science and technology and innovation to do something that was really important for the world. And that, that's what really motivates me. And I think it's what motivates pretty much every employee at Allbirds. Uh, we now have close to a thousand employees and by and large uh, down to the person. People are motivated by the fact that everything we do is in the pursuit of making better products for consumers because they use naturally derived materials that are better for the environment. Yeah, that, that's that's fantastic. So tell me about you know the early days of Allbirds where you went from Tim having an idea and you being compelled by that Tell me about how that became something that was bigger than that. Like, what was kind of the tipping point where you recognized, like, I think we've got something here that could actually be a business? Yeah. Well, firstly, in, in 2015, before we started the business together formally, I, I somehow convinced Tim to fly out from London, where he was living at the time, and come to my house just north of San Francisco. And we walked through the hills. We literally hiked for three days together. And what we realized was that we had an opportunity to lead. We had an opportunity to do something that the world needed, that consumers wanted, and that the brands in our industry were not uh, attenuating. And that leadership opportunity, and I knew from my materials background that there was countless opportunities to unlock naturally derived materials to create something that felt different and felt better. It wasn't just a one trick pony that we were going to use merino wool or one component or even one shoe. I knew that the material palette that we could innovate around was so broad and robust that we had opportunities to do 
virtually anything we wanted. And so we, we kind of thought big from pretty early on, to be honest. And, and when we left that weekend together, we ended up deciding that we were going to raise money from venture capitalists because we thought we wanted to focus on something that could be very big. We wanted to tackle a huge problem in climate change. And we didn't think that was going to happen overnight. We didn't think it was going to happen through one material. And we certainly didn't think it was going to happen through one shoe, the wool runner, which was the one we had when we started. We thought about this as an idea that could extend into so many different silhouettes of shoes and items and garments and, and even well beyond that, because it was built on this platform of innovation that no one was paying attention to, unfortunately. And so we, you know, we raised some money. We raised about $2 million to start. We launched the shoe in March 1st of 2016. And we sold a million dollars worth of shoes in our first month. And that was pretty good. Yeah. So how were you able to sell that many shoes just right out of the gate? Because, you know, you were essentially a D2C business, right? I mean, you're just doing business online. How were you able to get attention to what it is that you're doing there? Because it's a crowded marketplace, as you know, and a competitive one with people making athletic shoes. Yeah. And, you, you know, I think it goes back to what I said earlier around, you know, essentially the palette of materials and the variability that you see from um, most players historically over the last 50 years in, in athletic shoe industry has been to use the same tools and techniques and just try to make slight tweaks to make it better than the other company. Um, you know, it's typically used with a heavily adorned product with logos, um, bright colors to pop off the shelf. And, you know, we decided to do it a bit different. So it is competitive, but we were competing on a different dimension when we started. And it was very helpful that Time Magazine called us the most comfortable shoe on the planet the first day we launched. And we got a number of other uh, nice reviews from the media that really drove a lot of initial demand. And we launched with a fairly, uh, the story that I just told you really, and Tim walking in a field and chasing some sheep uh, on a video to showcase all of the uh, amazing connections to nature that we were delivering inside of an amazingly comfortable product on that first day. And we launched uh, with two websites, one in the U.S. and one in New Zealand. And we had very, very strong success in both right out of the gate on the first day. And we had a wonderful first few years. And, and you know, I will say we're, we're not too far removed from that day. It's, that was six years ago. And we now just feel like we're really getting started and unpacking all of the innovations that we've been investing in for the last few years. So, you know, you talk about kind of the broader terms around sustainability and ingredients that go into making the, the shoes and, and all that stuff. Maybe you could be a little more specific because, you know, when we met with you guys in December, I was super interested to hear about I mean, what this stuff is actually made of and where it comes from and how you guys source that and why it performs as well as it does. Yeah. So, and maybe zooming out, you know, what, what we try to hold ourselves accountable and we would love for all brands to do this is to capture all of our sustainability efforts in a single digestible metric that the consumer can look at and, and make choices based on. And so what we've tried to do is, is distill everything we do into one number, which is the carbon life cycle the carbon count of our products. So everything from the manufacturing all the way back to the materials on the farms, all the way through the end of life of the product after the consumer uses it. And we actually label every shoe 
with the exact carbon emissions that that product emits throughout the manufacturer, we then offset all of those emissions as a company so that it's carbon neutral. I believe we're the only shoe company at any kind of scale to be a carbon neutral shoe company or making sure that everything is net zero every time you purchase our product. Um, But how do we do that? So to your question specifically, almost all of a vast majority of the carbon emissions for any consumer product is born in the materials that you source and that you use to manufacture the products. And so that's where we spend a lot of our energy is. And that's why you've heard me talk so much about innovation. These materials not only deliver comfort for the consumer, but they also dictate whether you're going to make a big or small impact on the planet. And so this is why we started with things like merino wool. It's why we introduced a eucalyptus fiber-based upper to replace polyester mesh that you see on most athletic shoes. It's why on the bottom of your shoe, the foam material that you see on sneakers, almost every single one of those, maybe all of them, is made from petroleum. And we actually innovated with a company down in Brazil to use the waste stream of sugarcane production to make a shoe based on sugarcane and a sole based on sugarcane. So when we did this, we, we made it into a foam we call sweet foam. Uh, and and that, that material is carbon negative. So that when you actually produce our soles, it, it sucks carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere on a net basis versus the energy it takes to produce it. It's an incredible process that we've been able to innovate with a partner down in Brazil. Brazil. And this is from some of the work I I did previously. And so now we have sugar, wool, tree. We use recycled, uh, when we have to use synthetics, we will use recycled polyesters and recycled nylons. Um, So every single component that we use in our products has been thought through and has been optimized for comfort and for sustainability. And when we think on those two dimensions as constraints and and maybe equal constraints, we unlock something very powerful. And and, and that's why the products really stand up and can look different and they can feel different. That's great. You know, from where I sit, there's been so much talk over the years around sustainability. It's become kind of a buzzword. And you, you talked about it a little bit before, like what exactly does that mean and how is that actually even validated or measured? Uh, and I'm kind of curious what your take on it is about that. But, you know, again, the difference between talking about it and having it feel like a marketing hook rather than just a way of doing business. I mean, there's very few brands like yours that actually walk that talk and and go to the lengths that you guys go and again when we've been able to spend some time with you and hear your story it's super compelling and i can imagine you know when customers get a chance to learn about it they feel compelled as well but i'm curious how you've seen you know particularly over the last decade this idea of sustainability is something that's kind of maybe a cool or interesting academic idea to something that actually is a practical hook for people to want to buy your product and use your products because it, it fits with their personal ethos and it actually performs. I mean, just that what you talked about, if the only thing you guys had going for you is that it was sustainable, that'd be one thing. But the fact that it's sustainable, it performs well and it's comfortable, that's pretty great. Yeah, and that that's the model. That's the that's the secret is that the fact that it's sustainable is why it's comfortable. But you know, I, I think in the way you frame that question about what consumers want and what brands have been saying to consumers for the last decade is spot on. It's it's incredibly confusing as a consumer like what is sustainable is it because it's natural is it because it's gmo like yeah there's so many phrases that are floated around i mean vegan leather as an example 
it might sound good to some people, but it's just typically using plastic instead of <laughs> instead of leather for like no, it's not good. So when we introduce leather, we're going to introduce plant-based leather where it's a hundred percent plant derived. And we've been innovating with a company, and we actually made an investment in this company to help them uh, make sure that they could commercialize a leather that was made a hundred percent from plants and performed like leather that you're used to feeling from animal sources, but doing it in a way that's incredibly light on the planet with a 98% reduction in carbon impact with the same or even better performance at times. But, you know, back to the, the idea of how to communicate sustainability and how other brands have done it and that confusion. This goes back to why we tried to make it into a simple to digest singular metric. When you look at the back of a food label, you see calories and you might not be able to explain exactly what a calorie is. But you know that if there's more of it, you got to do a little more working out to cancel it out. <laughs> yes. And so like it's that simple. And, and this, this carbon number that we put on our products is exactly the same thing. The lower the number, the closer you are to net zero carbon impact. And it's that simple. So you can then say, is it comfortable? Does it look good? Does it cost the right amount of money? And does it have the right environmental impact? That one number can tell you that. To that point, do you see some kind of standardization in terms of labeling where that gets used as the objective standard bearer for whatever sustainability means? Because, you know, to your point about food, I mean, calories and stuff, that, that has to go on every food product now, people, you know, so people can see exactly what they're buying. Do you feel like there's a version of that it's coming in for like the shoe industry, for example? It should come and we'll advocate for it. And, and here's what we've done to do our part. You know, we, we've announced that we were going to label all of our products with our carbon footprint. We then went carbon neutral, uh, 100% carbon neutral as a company. Then we actually, uh, because it, it's a reasonably sophisticated tool we had to develop to count every gram of carbon that we emit, we open sourced that tool and allowed anyone in the industry to take that tool and use that to apply labels on their products. And we think if we give consumers the choice, they want to do the right thing, to your point. Consumers want to align their purchase and consumption with their values. But man, is it confusing and hard to do it. How do you look between two brands that both look reasonably similar except for the logos and a little bit of design tweak here and there, and they're all plastic, and it's like, what do you choose between? Well, we're trying to provide consumers not only with a better option, but also with the lens with which to make that decision and to hold our, us accountable. You can see how we trend every year. We're updating these numbers, and they got to get better, and we have a plan and we're you know as a company we do the same thing you know it's it's not just products but every company should be producing a, a number that says what their carbon emission is as a company that includes all the products and 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 third parties that they work with and the impact that those make and you got to be held accountable to driving that down to zero we give financial guidance to our investors every year and we also give environmental guidance we said this year what our target was for carbon reduction would be for our entire company this year and we we said what it was last year. We think that that accountability is important and consumers, once they can understand a number like a calorie count, like a carbon footprint on a product, they can start to impose their judgment and, and their values when they make these purchase decisions. And we know from the data that more and more consumers are editing their selection of products based on this kind of ethos. No, for sure. I mean, I, and we could see it too. I mean, it, it's gone from more than just an academic ideal to a practical application of why people want to buy things. But you still are dealing with the fact, though, 
you know, to really make this thing grow and happen, it's got to work on multiple dimensions, though, right? And we talked about one of them is comfort, for example, or maybe you can talk a little bit about the performance. But, you know, being able to go beyond, it's not just about sustainability. It's actually, if, if you took all that aside, why would you want to wear the shoe? Do they look good? Do they perform well? Do I feel great wearing these? Talk a little bit about how that's also been part of the journey to bring you guys from inception to being now this you know broad-based business yeah you know where, where we've always believed we would have an opportunity to really make an impact is we are attractive to a, a fairly broad group of consumers it's really um it spans a whole bunch of demographics uh, yet what we know is that they're a little more health and wellness oriented and uh, we know that spanning any age demographic that these people are living an on-the-go lifestyle more and more. Um, they want a product uh, or a set of products that can help them look good when they're going out to lunch and then uh, do pretty damn well if they want to do a light workout too. And and that space of, you know, from sweat and, and performance culture to the informal, whether it's social or even work setting, that kind of area of, of style and behavior is where we've always believed we would win. And so having a product and a set of materials that we make those products with that deliver that incredible comfort throughout a broad swath of activities in your day, so important. You just, you demand more of your wardrobe today than I think was previously asked of. And shoes are, are such a difficult category to do this because it's so many different it's a soft good on the top it's a, a molded unit on the bottom to, and you got to connect these things and it's got to fit perfect and perform biomechanically and do something very specific for you and keep you safe when you're running so there's a huge amount of of science and morphology that has to go into developing a product that wins in shoes yeah and then on top of that it's got to look good too right it's got to it's got to meet someone's yeah. sensibilities about does this look good absolutely so i mean that's the that's the challenge and we've gone very slowly and methodically in the development of this company you know because we're innovation at the core of our business and that's where we think we unlock the biggest impact and why consumers will like us is it takes a while to do these innovations. These are really hard. Like, you know, going down to Brazil and making a, a sole sweet foam out of sugar cane. If that sounds hard to you, you are correct. It is hard. <laughs> it, it sounds, it hard. sounds hard it to took, me. It took three years to do it. It took, and we've only been around for six years. So you think about how hard and how long these take. And so going methodically on this and spending the time to get confidence and understand our consumer, understand what they want from us, we know that the world is waiting. All consumers around the world are waiting for a performance product that helps them do everything they want in a fitness environment and do it without making a dent on the planet. It is a huge opportunity from a business perspective, and it will be better for the world and better for our consumers. And so we are heavily focused in this area. And not to say that we won't continue to innovate amazing stuff on the lifestyle side, but, but these two areas of lifestyle and performance coming together with a little bit more versatility and this informal culture that we live in today, uh, where people aren't wearing as many suits uh, as you used to sell. I'm sure Nordstrom is doing a little bit less in the suit department. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's been a, it's been a change for us. But, you know, it also creates an opportunity because people might look at their 
closet, particularly post-pandemic, and say, I got a bunch of clothes in here, but I don't know if it really suits my lifestyle, you know, and, and based right. on, you know, whether they're cultural norms or expectations or whatever it is, there's a lot of things that go into that, but it creates an opportunity for us to sell someone something new. So anyway, I, I think it's super fascinating. So, Joey, I'm kind of interested is, okay, so you're starting this business and you've got this thing going. And I'm sure that's it's all really exciting. Um, but then you also have this journey between, or, or excuse me, going from like, okay, we're a direct-to-customer business. And I don't know if that was always your guys' intention, but we interact with a lot of different brands that they start out that way and then they bump up against you know, practical limitations unless they find, I think the word used, distribution partners or the ability to be able to leverage what you do and get it in front of more people. And that's, I guess, where we come in. So I, I'm curious, like, how that's worked for you, being a DTC business that was, you know, all online and then, you know, and getting to the point where you're growing this business and you want to take it public and, and the decisions that you had to make about how to create scale. Mm. Yeah. You, you know, it's been for us, it's been very deliberate and you know, the context matters. You know, it, the fact that we're in the shoe industry for the most part drives that really drives a lot of our decision making. I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. But back in 2016, uh, I look back on this this chart a lot. But when we were pitching our business to get some money from people, we, we, what we said to them was we would be able to reach a certain group of consumers through a digital platform. And we would then have to layer on a bunch of stores. And we thought a vertical retail model, which hadn't been done before in shoes as the exclusive model, like it has in many instances in apparel, um, it has not been done in shoes, was a unique way to leverage where technology was when we started the business in 2015, 2016. That, I mean, it had changed a lot since most shoe brands you know of have started. And we were taking advantage of that to be able to deliver this vertical retail business where we, we connected our offline and online experience through stores, and that would reach a, a very large number of consumers. And, and, and back in 2016, this is what we said very clearly was, at some point, we needed to start interacting with retail partners and use the wholesale channel in order to meet a whole bunch of new consumers. And, and you know, right now we, we have uh, about 10 or 11% awareness in the United States. Meaning if we asked you, have you heard of Allbirds? About 10 or 11 of 100 people would say yes. That's not very many. We have a huge amount of lows to say. Yeah. I mean, compared to like Nike. I mean, what, what's their awareness? I mean, if you're 10 or 11 percent, what are they, 95 percent, 99 percent? 97 is the last I heard. Yeah, which I don't know who those three people are, uh, 3 percent are. But um, yeah, but that's, it's virtually 100 percent. So that's that's the big challenge. We, we need to let people feel our product and understand and have this great tactile experience. When you put it on your foot, you're like, whoa, that is amazing. That's different. And we need to tell the story, but we need to show up where they're shopping. And so we've always believed that working with partners that are brand right partners, very premium and can help us build our brand is going to be a really mutually beneficial opportunity. And that's why we've loved the partnerships we've done with Nordstrom in the past. We've done two so far, and it's it's really exciting to be thinking about a third and a more ongoing relationship where we can show up in such a compelling way to your consumer who who is our consumer also. And you know, back to what I was saying about shoes. We have a new product that we're going to launch very shortly here. And the, the tooling, uh, which is like the, the metal pieces that we use to, as molds to make the bottom units of the shoe, 
For this one style, it was more than a quarter million dollars for just the tooling. Whoa. So you think about, just think about the difference. Like you, you're making t-shirts or like, you know, athleisure sweats or whatever. You know, there's none of that upfront cost, zero of it. You, there's, you know, and you can, you can have kind of like a couple of people cut and sew and you got, you have a product. We have a quarter million dollar tooling for this uh, one example I'm giving you. And then there's about 35 process steps that you need to then use to assemble a fully formed shoe that's going to deliver the performance that we expect this shoe to deliver. And it's an amazingly high performance shoe. So think about how challenging that is and how slow you need to do to get it right, to meet this customer experience that we want to create the best in the world so that everyone just absolutely loves it every time they put on a shoe, no matter what number of shoe it is in the production line. It's so critical for that experience to be good. And so we wanted to go slow. And that's why we always thought that we needed to have a slow expansion of our assortment, not have too many styles out of the gate. We started with just one. It took us two years to really add our second material. And we went slow like that. And as we added the breadth to this line to make it really compelling for a large number of consumers, then we have more opportunities to work with fantastic retailers like yourself, where we can then interact with your consumer and show up in such a nice and unique way and do that relative to even what they experience on our own site. Yeah, you know, you talked about we'd, we'd done some things in the past, but they were episodic, right? They were they were a defined period of time. There was one thing we were going to do and they, you know, like a pop-up type of thing. And they were really successful. And so now we're at the place where we're going to figure out how to do business in a more sustained way. And, you know, for us, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to be able to partner with a brand like yours that's not ubiquitously out there, but has an enormous amount of credibility. And, you know, and, it, and it, it, it works well with, I think, you know, our customers' ethos, but also kind of the, the foundation of our company is that's selling shoes. And so, you know, we have a lot of pride in our people being professionals when it comes to the ability to sell shoes. And, you know, there's such a good story to tell here. Our, our salespeople are going to love having this on the store. But talk a little bit about, okay, here we are now, you're a public company, you're working on this, you're trying to figure out who you guys can partner with that allows you to sustain what's important about your brand and amplify it, I guess, in a way that, that works for you too and, and that how you ended up choosing Nordstrom and how you see that kind of playing out, what the opportunity is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... We love the vertical retail aspect of our business and that, you know, up until today is 100% of our business. And so um, that's still working really well. So what do we think about when we look at, you know, and, and most people, I don't want to sound uh, like I lack any humility here, but like most of the retailers have called us at some point in the last six years and said, I'm Hey, sure we love they the have. Like, yeah. And so, and we've always been, you know, been very polite because we, we knew, um, that in the future we, we may want to work with them, but we haven't chosen to do that yet on an ongoing basis because we wanted to make sure that we could show up right for that consumer and we could do it in a very premium and elevated way and give them an offering and an assortment that really met, you know, you know could meet the moment and meet that consumer in a store as premium as, as yours. So what we thought we would do is look at the consumers that we really want to meet that we haven't met. And what kind of credibility do we need to get from a retail partner so that when our customer walks in, you know, it's, if I said that I'm a nice guy, maybe you'd believe me. But if you, Pete, told them I was a nice guy, they'd be like, oh, Pete thinks he's a nice guy. Okay, he probably is a nice guy then. And so, uh, you know, in the same way for a brand, we, we want the credibility that Nordstrom delivers for in curation for your customer. 
to show up so that we get the vote of approval and that we show up from a style perspective and from a performance perspective with the line that's going to meet your style conscious consumer and, and do it in, in a way that's that's very compelling. And I think we have the broadest assortment that we've ever had as a company and we have the most exciting product pipeline uh, for the next two, three years that we've ever had by, by a very long ways. I mean, it is incredibly compelling and exciting and we know it's just going to be able to deliver newness and freshness and keep delivering on the promise for that supernatural comfort for the consumer that walks through your doors. Uh, and, and to be candid with you, I think it's going to help our vertical business quite a lot. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I mean, it's a no brainer for us why we'd want to carry your product. But, you know, we've had to prove ourselves to you guys why we're going to be accretive to your brand and your mission. Because to your point, everybody wants to sell your product. So you're going to be selective about who you're going to choose. So I just want to let you know how much we appreciate that opportunity. And, and you know, we're going to be doing some business this year. And you'll see a lot of Allbirds product kind of available. And I think it'll be great. But you mentioned a little bit about uh, the innovation and the, the breadth of your guys' offer and other categories. So you, know, you start out just you know only as shoes. So Where's that all going? What what can the customers expect here in the next year or two in terms of what they could buy from Alberts? Hmm. Well, I, I'm getting you to announce something. You maybe you're not prepared to announce. I don't know. No, no, no. We're, this is totally good. I mean, I think the place we live uh, and and we we are the most compelling. If you think about it in four boxes, like a little window pane, it's around lifestyle and performance, and then footwear and apparel. And and so in each of those four boxes, we're going to be expanding the offering in a really nice way. What we you know our magic is in shoes, and shoes are so much harder to make than apparel. And so as we bring these really compelling innovations and this beautiful new design language that we're putting into into the shoes that we make we want to then go up the body and we want to round out the consumer's experience with apparel that matches that footwear and does it for the use occasion uh, and for the same style and still delivers on that incredible supernatural comfort, you know, per the name derived from nature. And so that's where we're going to live. That's where we think it's most compelling. And, and some of this is going to be material driven. You know, you look at our sneaker offering, there's been um, a bunch of really interesting shoes we've produced in the past, typically with soft knit uppers. And now as we add new arrows, in our quiver, so to speak, a thing like our plant leather. It's going to be a totally new sort of material that gives us a, a new way to address the sneaker market and address what consumers want from their shoes in a way that will be unique to what we've offered thus far and, and very exciting. So, you know, you talk a little bit about how you got into this business and you, you had kind of a purpose-driven way of having a professional life, which is admirable. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, as you've gotten into this thing and, you know, now you've got this commercial enterprise, like, in a, in a daily kind of way, like, where do you find your joy and your purpose in what you're doing? And, and, and what does success kind of feel like to you? Mm. Well, if we're going to um, make a dent on the big environmental challenge that we're focused on, we have to be big. And so I, I, I'm not ashamed of the ambition to be a very large company because I think every shoe we sell and every dollar that we make, we're making uh, consumers are making a choice for us versus somebody else. And that's going to make a better impact on the planet, particularly if we can live our values every day. So first and foremost, I'd like to be very big and I'd like to be a leader when people think about a brand that is making something, any kind of good. I, I aspire to have people think that all birds is the way to unlock a better experience for consumers by using a product through nature. 
And if we can do that and be a beacon and that maybe has some copycats in our industry and then copycats in the way we do business in other industries, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty motivating. And so that's the big driver for me. And so, and, 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 you know, you call me a scientist, which I don't think uh, I would call myself that, but (laughs) I, I do love that. I love getting a material that meets a consumer need and does it in a way that unlocks value from nature. I mean, it's so super exciting, very creative, very challenging. So that part gives me a lot of day-to-day joy. And then what's been so surprising to me on this journey is how amazing it's been to create a culture around what we're doing that is unique from any other culture I've worked at and have a group of people come together around a purpose. And, and it just, it attracts such a high caliber group of people. I mean, they're super, smart and they're taking skills, a lot of which now we're we're picking from a lot of industry competitors that we have because they have these unbelievable skills in design and manufacturing and merchandising, but they haven't been using it to do something positive that they believe in from a personal perspective and a values perspective. And we give them that opportunity. And so we're getting the best talent from the industry to come to us to make products that, that do both. And it, it, there's a mutual alignment around their values and what they do in their life. And so the culture has been something that if you walk in our office, you feel this palpable energy around what we're doing. And the creativity that comes with that is is pretty inspiring. And that's been, I will say, a surprisingly delightful aspect of being a manager of this business. Yeah, no, look at it. It's real. I mean, it becomes very evident when you get a chance to spend some time with you and your team. And I mean, I really think you guys are to be applauded, what you and Tim have created there. And you've been able to go beyond just an idea and an aspiration, and you've been able to make it a a real thing. And um, again, I just, I'm really excited about our opportunity to work together. And it's been really awesome having you on the show, Joy. I appreciate you telling your story and, and working with us. It's been fantastic. And I, and I wish you guys just a ton of success. Uh, thank you so much. We're, we're thrilled to be on offer at Nordstrom and have loved how you guys do business and have given the Nordstrom way to our employees when they start to learn about customer experience. And we want to uh, keep delivering on that. And, and we, will, we will uphold your promise to your customer to give unbelievably good products. And we can attest to the fact that we can deliver on that every day. So, um, so looking forward to doing that for your customer and and thanks for the opportunity to talk to the listeners here. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. So one last question for you. So as, as a person that's, you know, had all success around being able to implement ideas into actions and and actual products and a, and a real business, what kind of advice would you have for me and for Nordstrom about how you think we should approach thinking about evolving our business to respond to the realities and the issues of the day and what's compelling to customers? Hmm. That's a great question. And, and, uh, you know, we're a purpose native company. And so we got to start from scratch and design everything from, you know, you know, from the ground up. And so I, I do empathize with the fact that, yeah, a lot of businesses, including yourself, started before people knew we even had a problem on climate change. And so, you know, <laughs> 1901, I don't think anyone's thinking about our climate exactly, change problem. Exactly. Right. So I, I think what I would recommend is getting some conviction on it pretty darn quick. And I, I think you guys are moving pretty rapidly in this direction, but getting conviction on it because consumers 
do care and they are starting to make choices on this. So aligning all of the decisions you make with your vendor partners to make sure that who you are selecting, you're asking something of them and you're demanding something that can help you deliver on your promise to your consumer around the environment in particular, it will make you win. It will set you apart and it will make you win. Uh, And I think the risk is if you don't take bold action in that regard, there's a risk that you fall behind and, and consumers just think you're, you know, one of the other greenwashing companies that's trying to say something minimal on sustainability such that you, you know, you pass the sniff test, so to speak. Um, so I, I think having, having that and then hopefully aligning all your actions with some kind of performance metric that can hold you accountable, just like, you know, your investors want you to be more profitable and grow your revenue. Uh, you should be make less of an impact on the environment and all your choices that you make in your day-to-day business should ladder up to that end goal. That's how we run our company. And um, to the extent we can work together to do that and we can bring that, help you bring that promise, we would love to be a strategic partner for you in, in doing that. And uh, and we're always open-minded to help out and, and think about creative ways where we can both not only do the hard work, but also tell the right stories. That's great feedback. I appreciate it. And again, Joey, thanks so much for being on our, our podcast cast today and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks Pete, me too. I was in our New York store recently, and I want to take this opportunity to introduce you to one of our top stylists there, Lori Klinow. She's really a nice person with a big heart. Lori sets a great example for how we want our employees to use their own judgment in every customer interaction, and I'm proud to have her on our team. So we're here in New York, and it's always fun to meet new people and, and learn about kind of what makes our our team tick here. And so we got Lori Klinow here. And so your store manager was nice enough to say, look, you should talk to Lori. She's got an interesting story and she's a wonderful stylist. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us here for the Nordy Pod. So I'm just interested to hear more about like how you got started with Nordstrom and, and how it's all going for you here. So I am a New Yorker. I grew up in Long Island till I was about 17. And then after college came here and I pursued a career basically in fashion and cut to the chase. When the store opened here, I was plucked from another <laughs> retailer where I did a lot of so specialty. So how did that happen? Did work. someone come recruit you or how did that happen? Um, through a dear friend. She said, I have a good friend who's doing this giant store opening and yeah. I came over here and I've so been you here were since in, store but you opening. you were in retail before? Yes, I was for five okay. and a half years I was okay. in retail. So you've been here for a couple years and we've how many customers do you think you have that, if I called them, I got a shot of selling them something? Is it hundreds? Maybe yeah. a hundred. Okay, that's a lot. I feel really good about my relationships, and I think as a stylist, besides having a talent of you know putting clothes together and accessories and all that, I think um, having connections with people is top of the list, and I think that's my jam. I'm really interested to know, you know, since you've been here. Tell me about any kind of remarkable experience that you've had helping customers so, here. I actually have had a number, but one in particular is outstanding. I was actually called from our public relations team to help a couple. They had a very, very moving story. 
background is the young man was obviously a Nordstrom customer, and he had posted his story on Instagram that he happened to have bought his uh, a, a jacket at Nordstrom and a pair of Air Jordan, I think, sneakers on a Tuesday, which apparently is his favorite day. And on Wednesday, when he was going to go to work, he hopped on the train and he was savagely attacked um, and he was blinded by his attacker. Oh my gosh. That is And horrible. he basically was also robbed of everything he had, including his wares and things. So Nordstrom reached out to him and they actually got together and I believe somebody had reached out and had a whole conversation with him or his girlfriend and found out that there was some sneaker that he absolutely was like dying for and it was like a really hard sneaker to get. It was some maybe a Dior sneaker, I believe. And they actually they gifted him this sneaker. So PR invited them in yes, after so, reading his story. story. And is that where you this, come, is that and where then you came that's in? where I came in. And there was also, I mean, there was a, you know, a group of people who greeted him. And it was like, honestly, every one of us was in tears. I mean, we greeted him, helped him down the stairs. He was, the mo- he was literally the most gracious client I have ever seen in my life. There wasn't a, a thing that you did that he didn't say thank you. His girlfriend at the time, they were like very good friends from an old job, and she hadn't heard from him in a while. And apparently he had reached out to her after this trauma that he had. And when she spoke to him and he told her what happened, she came to him and she like nurtured him and they became boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay. And the night that they had this whole stylist session, he took her and they got engaged. Oh. So it was this incredible story, but I really was concentrating on dressing Benji, who was the woman, and there was a male stylist, but I was going back and forth between because As she was getting in one outfit, we would walk into his dressing room, and then he would just feel what she was wearing, and she would describe it, and we would talk about it. And it was like just the most beautiful thing. I I think I was crying most of the entire time. It was like um, when someone says to me, oh, what do you do? And I said, well, oh, I'm a stylist at Nordstrom. They go, oh, so you're like a personal shopper? And I go, well... You know, I, I wardrobe people. I don't just, like, get pots and pans for people, you know. And they say, oh, that's nice. And I think sometimes I do these things, and I don't care if somebody spends $5 or $50,000. Like, I know that, like, that night I put my head on the pillow, and I was like, wow. I just gave these people an amazing experience, something that they never would have had. And that just is, like gravy to me. That's just amazing. So it's you, more than you, selling. You see, so help this gentleman, help this couple. You'd gone through this horrible trauma. We're trying to do something nice for them. And so, so do we, we, we buy we him gift, clothes so and stuff? We, we actually, this is great. We had a number for each one, a gift card for each one of them. So I believe we started with $1,000. And then when we started 
you know, you getting blew, them you dressed. Blew right it was like the thousand dollars. You know, I tried really hard. <laughs> I didn't pick. You know, I just picked out things yeah. in great style for yeah. her shape yeah. and all, and same. And then I was like, oh, okay. Well, who am I going to talk to here? You know, hello. Can we go to fifteen hundred? And it was like, you know what? And when people kept coming down and just seeing how happy they were, it was like the ceiling, you know, the ceiling was rising. And then we we hit a, a number, and it was. You know, it was just the joy of the whole thing was amazing. Well, look, it's a, it's beautiful. I mean, it's interesting that that happened. That, that wasn't about someone calling Seattle and getting permission to do something from corporate. It's just no. stuff that people here thought would be a, a nice and appropriate oh, thing to do. this was so, so organic. I, so this thank you great. for doing that. That's, that's a great story. No, it was a great opportunity. And then the joke was like, okay, everyone who's blind gets Lori now. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't funny, but, like, I think about them because I also – had to reach out from another blind man. And this guy put every bit of trust in me because there was no seeing person with them. And he used to be a sighted person and lost all of his sight in his 30s. And he reached out and told me that um, he was invited to a wedding and that his mother was making him wear a tuxedo. We got him a gorgeous tuxedo. He looked unbelievable. And... um, When I walked him out, I said to him, how are you getting home? And he said, well, I have this curb app for a taxi. Um, And he goes, so you can leave. It's okay." I said, no, 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 it's okay. I'll wait. We waited uh, 15 minutes till somebody answered his call. And they ended up pulling their cab up on 57th Street when we were on Broadway, and it was across a double street. This driver knows he's blind. And I walked him there, which, of course, was no big deal to me. And I was calling out to the driver, like, here we are, here we are. And um, I put him in the taxi, and I said to this driver, this is a blind man. Like, how did you not drive around the block? Like, what... I said to him, you better get him home safely. And when he got home, he actually texted me and said, okay, mom, <laughs> I'm home. And I've told this to a few of the people I work with. I have never, ever since then, not walked a blind person across the street that I've seen. And that's the truth. You know, it's like you're in New York see a million people walking, you know? And it is a crazy city, right? But when you connect with one person and you see how hard life is, you know, that's big. So ever since then, it's like, you know, I think about these people, Mm -hmm. especially him, he's alone, and he has to deal with that. So those are the things that I remember. Like, I'm not going to remember every person that I helped get dressed, but I remember that stuff, yeah. you know. Well, you're a nice person. I mean, that's... Not that, always. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, mean, honestly, I though, if, if I think about a common thread that runs through some of the successful people here is they got a genuine, authentic, nice way about them, and they like helping people. And then the I outcome so. from that can be you can sell a lot or what have you, but, you know, the story you tell about how you get satisfaction and joy is, how, you know, kind of essentially how you're helping people and creating those connections... It's great. I think it's why we've got this great reputation for service because it's because of people like you. you know, no one knows me, but they know people like you, and that, that's what creates 
uh, the reputation. I think that's awesome. Well, anyway. Anyway, so I'll Lori, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. It's great to meet tell, you. Tell I Jennifer will... I owe, owe her one for uh, you know bringing you to us. Uh, thank oh. you for being part of our team. Oh, thank you. Well, that's the show. We're really glad you're with us on this journey, and we hope you keep listening. The easiest way to do that is to subscribe to the Nordy Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please take a minute to give us a like, a share, and a review so other people can find this thing too. For more information about the show, head to nordstrom.com slash Podcast, where you can listen to episodes, see upcoming guests, and learn about how to get involved. We really want to hear about your experience with Nordstrom. So if you have a story about how you receive great service or even bad service, send us an email to nordypodcast at nordstrom.com. You can also give us a call and leave a voicemail. And you just might hear your voice on a future episode of the show. That number is 206-594-0526. So don't be shy. Drop us a line and be part of the Nordy Pod. And make sure to tune in next time when I sit down with CEO of Fanatics, Doug Mack. I am, as the head of Fanatics Commerce, obsessed with fan experience. It's really complicated, but we never want the fan to realize it can be so hard when a player gets traded. You know, Messi, one of the greatest soccer players of all time, surprisingly transfers to PSG, a great global soccer club, and immediately so many people in France and beyond want Messi product now. We just want fans to take for granted that's possible. We don't burden them with the complexity of what it takes to actually make that happen. Now, Doug and his company, Fanatics, may not be well known to you, but they're a super innovative company that we've been fortunate to partner with. They essentially sell licensed sports apparel. And uh, I think you'll love listening to the story about how they've grown and developed a business that essentially didn't really exist before. It's actually a theme that we cover a lot here. And it's a true entrepreneur story. And Doug's a fascinating guy. And it's things like this that really, I think you'll hear from Doug and from me, keep us energized in the business. So join us next time on the Nordy Pod.